Hi everyone, welcome back to the HSC Network podcast. This podcast is sponsored by our partners Abbott, who are established providers of workplace toxicology and occupational health services. When we talk about connecting safety, health and well-being in the workplace, we often find that workers are surprised by the important role that drug testing takes within that. So last week I sat down with Jane LeCount and Dr Maggie Samuel, who both play a really important part of Abbott's drug testing services. We look to dispel some of the misconceptions around drug testing in the workplace and why it's a really important part of occupational health. Good stuff. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining me both. Um, before we get stuck into the podcast, would you be able to give me an introduction to yourselves and your roles within ABBA? Um, Jane, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. Hi, David. Thanks for the introduction. I'm happy to be here with you today. Everett has two full-service workplace drug testing laboratories and I'm the technical manager at the laboratory in Lawson in Essex where we conduct the majority of testing for our workplace customers. At Abbott we're committed to providing reliable, innovative and value-focused drug and alcohol testing products and services to the customers. We're one of the leading providers of workplace drug testing programs in the UK and with our experience we're able to help companies all the way from design to execution of their drug and alcohol testing programs. Perfect thanks Jane. So thanks David I'm a a medical review officer or MRO for short um, and consultant occupational physician and I've worked for many years with Abbott. Um, My role is really to receive positive drug test results from the laboratory Um, and then to review them alongside the information I receive from the um, chain of custody form and indeed the toxicological information to make a final decision on the outcome uh, that's provided back to the employer. And I'm happy to talk about that later. Excellent. Uh, So we're going to be talking about health and safety in the workplace. Incredibly broad topic. We're going to be looking mainly at occupational health today. Um, So what is the role of OcHealth within health and safety? Um, Well, really, the objective of occupational health is to help an employer achieve a healthy and safe working environment, you know, really well-functioning working community, uh, preventing work-related diseases, as well as maintaining um, an employee's working ability and functional capacity, and indeed promoting good health because it's a captive audience, it's a really good opportunity to do that as well. Now it can be a potential difficulty for some employees and often that's born out of um, uh, lack of understanding, lack of knowledge of what to expect, um, uh, even fear of the outcome. Now long-term illness or disability can occur for all sorts of reasons other than work, but work related disease, of course, is something that it's crucial to try and prevent. But if um, it it does happen that people have a disability, whether through work or not, um, then it's imperative to really try and address that situation as soon as possible and to make suitable adjustments and provide support so that the employee can continue to work um, effectively. Yeah, I think that support piece is key. And, and I like what you touched yeah. on there about the maybe lack of awareness around OC Health and where it sits within the health and safety management process. Um, yes. I think this could work as a good educational piece, an awareness piece about that area. Um, can you 
give us a quick overview of what a typical occupational health assessment would look like. Yes, and, and, and maybe I should add that something that strikes a chord with a lot of stuff is thinking of an occupational disease as a slow accident. Mm. So, um, it, you know, people I, identify with accidents, they happen very suddenly, but with occupational diseases, they can take a longer time, a latent period of sometimes many years before the actual manifestation. So, um, yeah, that's, that sort of improves understanding to a degree. Anyway, occupational health assessments, really, these involve obtaining a full clinical and occupational history from the individual, what their previous employment has been, what potential risks they've been exposed to or hazards they've been exposed to, um, and also obviously a full clinical um, assessment. Um, and it's very important to do that in the context of the specific industry and the specific job role, because obviously these will vary. Um, and it's obviously the aim is to assess the employee's fitness to undertake their role. Um, and this will include any adjustments to support the employee, as I've previously mentioned, um, to make the environment uh, safe and a healthy place to be. Now, these assessments are conducted um, during various times of employment, and they'll be by a, an occupational physician or an occupational health nurse. Um, and the, the typical one would be pre-employment, so that you know, you're making sure that the person is fit for that particular role before they start the job. But also these um, occupational health assessments will take place after an injury, an accident, or indeed ill health. And after sickness absence, whether that's recurring short-term sickness absence or long-term. Um, and then they're carried out periodically for certain job categories. Now, in safety-critical industries, such as transportation, oil and gas, aviation, utilities, construction, etc., drug and alcohol testing can form part of that fitness-to-work assessment. Interesting. And, and looking at the fitness-to-work assessment... Jane, have you got any thoughts on why that's the case and what the reasonings are behind the use of that within the safety critical industries? Um, yeah, so the first and most important issue with drug use is that of health and safety. Drug and alcohols can impair a person's judgment and it can delay their reaction times, which can subsequently lead to an accident. As an example, in the oil and gas industry alone, um, 127,474 medicals were performed in 2018 and of those 1.02% failed with the most common causes reported being cardiac diabetes and drug abuse so especially in the safety critical industries that um, have been mentioned before it's important to monitor if the employees may be affected by drugs or alcohol may be a danger to themselves or to other people um, a one-off drug test, though, is not intended for judging their impairment at the time. It's, for example, um, a worker could demonstrate possible side effects, like I mentioned above, slowed reaction time, impaired judgment and risk perception. So they might think they're fine when they're not. Um, for some time after drug use, it's not just when they're high. And so we are testing for evidence of use that may have an effect on their their individual performance at work, even if the donor is not necessarily impaired at that time of the test or at work even. Um, there's benefits though for the employers. Um, tackling, the substance, uh, tackling substance abuse is, is keeping their whole workforce, workforce healthy, boosting their morale, avoiding injuries and all helping to improve their performance and their productivity. 
Um, but then if you see it from the employee's perspective, a successful drug testing programme will also ensure their health and safety in their workplace. And um, knowing that their colleagues are being tested also would help, um, might help their confidence too in, a, in a, for example, a construction site. Um, but where drug dependence is recognised or detected, employees that employers then might provide, uh, maybe able to provide support for um, services for treatment for drug abuse if it's needed. Yeah, I love where you touched there, Jane, on um, the employee perspective um, and getting it from the employee perspective. Could you maybe give people listening who may be a little bit unsure about drug and alcohol testing um, a bit of insight into what stages of employment where testing is involved? Yeah, there's a few different stages that it might be performed at. So each industry has different requirements. Um, if we stick with safety critical, which is um, important here, then drug and alcohol testing is included in a lot of pre-employment occupational health assessments, as Maggie mentioned. Um, this is common because recruiting is costly exercise so using testing as part of the selection process or during the probation period helps to mitigate the risk of hiring someone that may be unable to perform the job mm. um, and then there's um, additionally during employment employees may schedule random testing um, which allows businesses to test their employees at regular intervals with a fair selection random selection process um, this is a usual process to manage the risk especially for workers in a safety critical environment such as aviation, construction or transport. Um, and then the last scenario is what we call four cause testing and that's um, testing following an accident or an incident at work. Um, this, is, uh, this can be done independent of whether there's evidence or a suspicion of drug or drinking, uh, drug use or drinking in the, in the um, situation. So yeah, in order to protect the employee and to ensure that any legitimate reason for a positive drug test is considered, then um, we recommend positive results should be reviewed by a medical review officer like Maggie, who can then speak to the employee and then interpret the results independent of the um, Abbott company testing and help to protect the employee from an otherwise potentially adverse outcome like dismissal or the worst. And that's when experts like Maggie become really important. They can look at the medical evidence as well. Definitely. Um, Maggie, can you give us an overview into what the testing process looks like for an employee? Yes. So, so this is um, the important thing here is that the testing should come as a surprise to the employee. Um, and all companies without drug and alcohol testing will have this procedure um, included in their drug and alcohol policies. And drug and alcohol policies are living documents. They're not for putting on a shelf and, you know, sort of, we've got one. Um, they are, are meant to be what they, what's written on the tin. Um, and all employees, that includes managers and staff, need to be, and need to have received appropriate training and really understand why this is being done. And essentially for health and safety reasons, um, and they need to understand how the testing process works and what to expect as part of this process. Now, I think Jane has mentioned when these things happen, these testings happen, um, and very often, and there's no ambiguity about it at pre-employment when it's done, 
Um, but they also need to know that during the course of their employment, particularly after an accident or if they um, exhibit some aberrant behavior and there needs to be an understanding of exactly what's, caused, what's causing this, um, or that random testing is carried out, sometimes as part of a rehabilitation program, and I'll make reference to that later, um, but it's essential that employees understand that random testing means random, and it can occur at any time of mm. day um, or night for shift workers. Yeah, so I'll pick up from, from Maggie there. When we're being asked to conduct, for example, random testing at a facility, we work with the employers on setting up the sample collection, and the, the employer usually provides us with a list of employees that could be tested that day. Um, once a person is asked to participate in testing, they're asked by our sample collecting team uh, member to complete uh, a questionnaire with some personal data and the um, chain of custody form with the consent for the test and um, also to give consent for release of the result to their employer. And um, importantly, they're also being asked to disclose any medications that they're taking if they're happy to. And this information is important for Maggie when she looks at the results. But also when she talks to them, if she talks to them later, then they can, if they forget something, they can add it in then at the discussion point. Um, so once the paperwork is completed, the employee is asked to then provide their sample. Um, in most cases, it's a urine sample, um, could be oral fluid. Um, the sample will be split into two bottles labelled A and a B, so the same sample into two parts, sealed in front of the employee to evidence any potential tampering and then they're sent to uh, one of our laboratories for analysis. Once we receive the sample on site, we check the packaging and the bottle seals are all intact, and we perform all the analysis using the A sample portion of the sample. The B sample remains intact, uh, unopened, and will be stored for the donor in case of a later challenge to a positive result. Um, so the, through the lab, um, there's various um, sections of the process. So the A bottle undergoes an initial screen analysis where it's tested for the specified drug groups. Um, for example, um, an employer may wish their employees to be tested for cannabis group, amphetamines group, opiates group, benzodiazepines group, etc. Um, for urine it also has integrity checks to, to ensure that it's a valid urine sample. Um, if a sample screens non-negative, which is what we call a, a potential positive from the screening test um, mm. before we've proven what exactly it is. Um, then we'll conduct further testing to identify what is causing the, the non-negative result. Um, we call this process confirmation testing. So you've got screening and then confirmation. Um, the confirmation is performed using more specific uh, LCMS analysis that stands for liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry. And for alcohol, it's um, actually uh, GCFID, which is gas chromatography, flame ionization detection. Um, the LCMS and GCFID methods are targeted to look for the unique compounds that were identified in the screen and then part of the non-negative drug group at the screening stage. And they're tested alongside reference drug standards for identification purposes. So we know it's exactly that compound that we're looking for. Um, this allows us to distinguish between a non-negative cause by a medication that's not in that drug group or a cross-reacting unrelated, completely unrelated compound that's of a similar structure or a true positive drug, drug use. 
Uh, so for example, at the screening stage, we may find it non-negative for the opiate group. And then at the confirmation stage, we may we may detect that that's come come about use, uh, from we might find codeine and morphine, which are both unique compounds but belonging both to the opiate group. So both screen and confirmation methods are fully valid validated methods, which include calibration to establish the concentrations of the drugs detected, um, because we have a cutoff level above which we report positive, um, and quality control samples, um, which also must all pass acceptance criteria to ensure all the related results are valid. So I assume if a screening test is negative, is it just reported as negative? Is there any follow-up at all? That's it, correct. So this will be reported directly, so there's no follow-up with, with Maggie, for example, no MRA for a negative. Okay, um, and le leading on from that, what are the next stages when you get a positive test result? Well, this is the point where I start my medical review. So the laboratory team will have sent me the result, um, a confirmation test result report, and the donor's chain of custody form, as I previously mentioned, and that includes their declared medication. Now, if the customer requires at this point, um, then as an MRO, I'm able to discuss the results with the donor um, to enable, and, and it, whether they do or don't, it's the, it's the the gold standard of medical review to actually discuss with the, the result with the donor to ensure that um, they're aware of any potential side effects, depending on when they started taking the medication. Maybe it's been for a long time when the any side effects would have would have petered out, or if it's you know within a few days, then obviously it could be more relevant um, to in, in in with potential implications for their safety at work, um, and of course when when they don't declare the medication and the result is positive, then I absolutely have to speak to the individual to um, check if they've just forgotten to disclose maybe some over-the-counter medication they might have taken. Um, so it gives me the opportunity then to receive an explanation from them. And um, by far the most common positive result that I see for medication is for declared opiates as mentioned by Jane there, codeine and dihydrocodeine, which, is pres which are present in both prescription and over-the-counter medication. But let's not forget that declared medication can also include such drugs as morphine, amphetamine, or methadone. Now, in the case of the simple opiates, as I've said, the codeine, the dihydrocodines, if I have no concerns, having spoken with the individual, regarding the level of the metabolites of the medication, the appropriateness of its use, I'm able to overturn the positive result and a negative uh, certificate goes back to the employer. Now, with the controlled drugs, which are those three that I mentioned as examples, morphine um, and methadone, class A, amphetamine, class B, B and uh, this is a classification under the Misuse of Drugs Act, just to sort of um, explain that. Um, and these, the classification really is dependent on how dangerous the drugs are, potentially dangerous. So you've got the class A and B, the methadone, the morphine, amphetamine, um, and then class C, um, which would be benzodiazepines, for example. Um, so as part of the medical review, if these medications are declared, 
then I will obtain proof of prescription from the, um, the donor um, and also discuss with them the medical condition for which they're being treated to make sure it is appropriate. Um, and indeed, whether or not the employee is under regular review through the customer's occupational health team um, so that they can provide continued support and assure, assure, assurance about um, the continued fitness for work. Hmm. Um, and it, if that's the case, and I'm happy with the uh, information that I've received and the evidence, then I'm again able to overturn the positive result uh, and report it as negative. Um, I think Jane did allude to um, situations where an MRO is a requirement, it, 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 you know, is, is not there as part of the contract. And then it is difficult because um, decisions are then made uh, in, in, you know, from the evidence that is available. Um, that could result, of course, in a positive result when really it should have been negative. So mm. um, the role of the MRO is very important. Um, there are some situations that don't happen very often, but um, for instance, there the customer is unable to locate the donor. So I have a positive result. I can't explain it, um, but it, there could be that there's a valid explanation for it. And in those situations, we do I do verify the result is inconclusive. Mm. So there has to be action from the employer because we can't provide a um, you know a, a, a definite answer for them. And what would happen in a situation where the employee did not disclose the use of the medication? Well, I think I've sort of answered that already in the case of the simple opiates. Um, you know, by, by, uh, by talking to the individual, it usually, without giving leading questions, they do think, oh yes, you know, uh, I did take uh, an over-the-counter medication or um, uh, so, it, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied from the explanation they give that this is a reasonable explanation based on the levels I found and the timing they say then of, of when they remember taking uh, the medication. Um, and then I'm able to overturn the positive result to negative. Um, in the case of these undeclared class A or B drugs that I referred to, um, if the employee discloses that they've been prescribed the medication, even though they forgot at the time for some reason. Again, if I get that proof of prescription, um, then I'm happy to sign it off, provided they are then under occupational health review. So, because there has to be a distinction between what I do as an MRO and the occupational health um, uh, uh, role, which I will talk about in a minute. Um, but in the case of a positive fail, positive for drugs verification, which it could be, let's say, for example, with the amphetamines, they, they say they're on um, uh, Lisdex amphetamine, which is a legitimate drug, but has to be prescribed, um, but they have no proof of it, then that result is verified as positive. Now, once that happens, and it goes back to the employer, it's obviously up to their procedures, how they go about it. But in my experience, that varies from engaging the individual in a discussion about, obviously, the, the, the problems using drugs at work um, or being um, potentially under the influence of drugs at work. And um, some employers do take um, 
uh, a supportive view and will give the employee the chance to um, go through a rehabilitation program with their occupational health provider. And um, they will be randomly tested at regular intervals through up for a period of maybe up to a year. Um, and some people do turn themselves around on that basis. Others, um, you, you know, if, if it's a positive fail, then that's dismissal. So it can vary. And linking it back to health and safety, it's interesting you touched there on the ability of the MRO to overturn a positive into a negative um, if the circumstances allow. How is the employer making sure the person is fit to work after a situation like that? Yeah, you're making a very important point here. And um, I did allude to it a little bit earlier that as an MRO, OK, I'm an occupational a consultant, occupational physician, but in this role, I'm a medical review officer. And my role is to um, take the information provided to me, see if it aligns with the results in the laboratory, and um, I'll then advise the donor um, to discuss their medication, even if they have declared it, um, to discuss this with the occupational health team uh, of the uh, employer, um, who are in a position to assess the employee's fitness for work in its entirety. I can give us a, 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 a discrete view based on the, sub, the medication and what they say to me, but the occupational health team, as I said at the very beginning about occupational health assessments, have the opportunity to take a full clinical history, full occupational history, and to marry that up with the potential hazards and risks of the workplace to see whether the individual is fit for work. So um, it, it, it really is a case of the MRO working with occupational health in, in that scenario. Um, and of course, with the employee's consent. And consent is, is hugely important in occupational health. So when the um, occupational health team um, are then dealing with the individual, they're in a position to be able to, um, with the individual's consent to contact um, his or her GP um, specialist who's prescribed the medication and get assurance from them as well that the individual is um, fit for work. So maybe just one point to add um, that um, the in general terms, we've, I've really talked about the specifics of individual results here, but the occupational health team is in a very in, with it, of the employer is in a very privileged position to link in with safety and mm -hmm. with HR and indeed the wider management team to look at trends in drug and alcohol testing results together with the um, occupational health data they have anonymized of course to show trends and to spot areas where they might want to focus on extra training, we're talking about drug and alcohol um, now, um, so there may be areas where they need to focus their training particularly to try and improve on the trends that they're seeing. Um, so that's what it's all about at the end of the day is to improve health and safety in the workplace. Yeah, no, I love that Maggie, you've linked it brilliantly back to that holistic safety message. And I think we've covered some great stuff today. We'll leave plenty of information in the show notes so people can get in touch with yourselves and get in touch with Abbott if they want to find out more. But thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you.